Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with Lee Button and me, Chris Bright. Thinking Church exists to help your church thrive by helping you think through key strategic topics of church life. Each week we'll be tackling a different subject of church life and we'll be joined by some special guests along the way. So if you like this podcast, why not give us a like, give us a rating and give us a review as well. So without further ado, get your thinking caps on and let's get on with this week's episode. And we are actually now recording, which is which is really, really good. And I'm going to start with um, a, a lovely anecdote, which I have, uh, which I think, you know, sometimes you think, uh, I'll, you know, if someone was to portray us in a film setting, who would that be? Now, I was sat with my wife the other day and uh, we were watching the program Taskmaster. And as we were watching it i don't uh, think this is fair already <laughs> we were well listen to the listen to the anecdote firstly and then you can decide and the listeners can decide and uh my my good wife amy bright um was uh watching taskmaster and lee mack was on and she said he looks and sounds like lee Meaning, meaning you, Lee, and I mean I don't see it, but she really did see it. Yeah, and, and so she. Fair. And in ter- and in terms of picking, yeah, in terms of picking someone to portray me in a film, also wouldn't be my top choice. <laughs> I I don't know. So Ames was suggesting that it was to do with the accent, but also your mannerisms. And I, I am not that northern. Well, I, I mean, you are northern, but you're, yeah, I, I, well, I'm you know, from I think the Midlands. I'm from the East Midlands, and now I live well, on the South Coast. Well, yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, well, I think you know, that's that's one opinion, and it, it's not the definitive opinion. But I just thought that it's, the world should know that if you know currently. The number one, you know, to to play, you know, Thinking Church, the movie, uh, Lee Button will be portrayed by Lee Mack, which I uh, I think that could work. Look, you know. I think I've come out of that really badly. <laughs> Sorry, Lee Mack, but yeah, if Lee Mack I'm is sure listening, he's a perfectly nice bloke. <laughs> if Lee Mack is listening, yeah, then chances uh, of that, then you know, we are. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, okay, well let's let's go with that and uh and we'll see. Uh, I don't who, know who would play... who would you really want to have play you though in a film? Well, <laughs> you know, I, I think that um it would be the person that looks um most like me. Um so I'm I'm gonna go with uh you know Tom Hardy or something. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think so. No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, I think that I might be a few uh, few notches below, uh, and that's okay. That's that's fine. Um, so right, I think let's move on. Do you know what? That's a good idea. Let's let's move on. Tom Hardy yeah, is not definitely. quite as posh as I am, anyway. Um, not that I'm posh in the slightest. <laughs> um, right. Let's. So today uh, we're going to be. T- I don't know how I'm even going to segue. I'm just going to just go for it. Um, today, yeah, I think we just actually have the cut. Let's just continue. Just have the cut. Let's just hope that some kind of 
the uh, the lo-fi uh, beats come in, take it away and and help me out here. Uh, or they won't, and I'll just have to carry on, which I think is probably likely to happen. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about uh, running community programs as a church. And we've already done an episode on should churches run community activities, which is all the kind of philosophical ends. This one is actually if you are running community activities or assessing community activities that you are doing, uh, how to do that well. And actually what this is, is this came from a conversation that Lee and you and I had Lee last week, and uh, I was doing some work with uh, looking at my own church. We we're looking at some community activities, and what I realised is how much I didn't know, and how much you did know. <laughs> I think that's the big thing. And um, and what I was really aware of was that you know there was things that I was learning as I was doing this, and I thought this is a really good thing that that you know, it would be good for the podcast and for us to talk about and kind of just for us to relive that that conversation. Obviously, I won't talk in, in any specifics about my church situation because that wouldn't be fair. Um, but I will, so we'll talk in kind of generalities of community programs. Uh, but the first thing I think is, is looking at, well, most people that run community activities, they just kind of run community activities and they don't quite know you know, how do you know that's being successful? And I think many church leaders would struggle to answer that question. Lee, what's your your thoughts on that? So, and th- this is this is where it comes in the kind of like the, the the two prongs of how we're approaching this. So, I've got um, a lot of background and working specifically in the charity sector, where charities are individually set up to deliver often very bespoke programs um, of community activity and, you know, uh, social programs and things like that with a charity basis. And in so doing, because they're often very tightly linked to how they get funded and they um, need to show how they're achieving their objective, they, they, they look very deeply at, a lot more measurements and they have an evidence base to what they're doing and they do they do reporting on it and what what i found happen is with with churches is we often have quite a spread of things that we do and as a result we we don't kind of meaningfully develop new activities as to you know from that same evidence base sometimes neglect the the, the fact that we are charities in what we're doing and because the funding comes through generally through giving of people within the within the group that we are doing it, we don't worry too much about the external view of looking at the work that we do to evidence it broader. So that that was kind of where we began the conversation was the should we also be able to provide evidence of what we're doing to people outside the church to show the 
true impact of the work that we're doing. And yeah. that's not just, you know, it, we've, we've touched on this in terms of measuring um, congregational stuff and people know bums on seats is, you know, it's a number, but it's not like the best metric of everything that's going on. It doesn't evidence life change. It shows how many people sat in a seat. Um, the same with if you're doing a cafe or you're running a food, you know, meal meals, um, you know, Tuesday meals or Friday meals, or you're doing something for, you know, soup runs and things like that. Like the, sometimes the strict numbers of like, you know, we delivered, you know, a hundred hot meals or we did a soup run and we met, you know, 50 people and gave them soup. Like that, that's actually quite good. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not saying that those are bad things, but why, why are we doing it? What are we ultimately trying to do? Are we, are we trying to tie that into something that helps us look a bit bigger? What's the life change we want to see um, as a result of that work? Also, are we running programs that are needed? Um, yeah, that, that's the thing. And I think when we started having this conversation, we were thinking about, you know, what makes a community program successful? How do you know? What's the measure on that? And if you're running a community program, you've got the one side of it where, you know, the, the, the volunteer who is volunteering is, you know, they are, they're doing part of their discipleship. So they are, so they're volunteering. So that is a measure, which is really good. So if you've got, you know, you can count volunteer numbers on there, but on the other end of it as well, on the other side of it, someone is volunteering in a community program in your church. You've got to know that that community program is being effective. It's got to be making an impact and how yes. do you know it's making an impact? Is it making the right impact? And those are the questions that started to come up when we were we were talking about this as, as okay, how do mm. you know that you're making? And that's where, where we got to. And that's where you started talking to me about the difference between uh, output, outcome, and impact. Yes. And it was this input as well, the input, output. Yes, output. You, you, you kind of, yeah, so... You know, this might sound familiar to some some listeners around um, things called um, log frames and impact frameworks, which is like resource and input, output, outcome, impact. And that's kind of like, you know, for what I put in and what we do, what units do we get out? How many of those do we deliver over time? And as a result of delivering over time, what impact do we have? Um, and it sometimes gets a bit... Um, confusing around impact because it's a more of a soft measure that you have to um in, infer or work out from other things that you've done you know let's say so I, I i work with a charity that deals a lot in um with 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 crisis and uh homelessness things like that so we take something like that it's on the on you know an impact or an, an, an output measure is we met with them an outcome measure is we we met with them over a period of time and provided support and helped them fill in benefit forms. And then we got them accommodation. But the impact piece goes a lot broader than the individual. Let's say that, and as a result of helping that individual, we also had a direct, you know, we reduced antisocial behavior as a result because that person was now more stable and they weren't doing some of the things that they were doing before so there's a reduction in antisocial behavior as a result of our work so now you start talking about the work more collectively or 
as a result of these interventions and keeping people housed, um, this person now has got fewer instances of binge drinking. Um, they have um, fewer admissions to hospital. Things that, you know, and these are then become costs to what, you know, we'd commonly say, like, you know, cost to the public purse. Like, actually, the prevention of those things happening is a result of the work that's going on by this charity. But it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to make that connection in, in what we're doing. Although you know it happens, you've also got to evidence it as a result. But then you have the change in that person's well-being. It's like, when I first came here, on a scale of one to 10, or from, you know, sad emoji to happy emoji, how did you feel about making decisions? And it's like, I felt rubbish about making decisions. I thought I was getting everything wrong. After six sessions of meeting with our team, how do you now feel about making decisions and managing your finances? The emoji scale goes up and you now feel happy about it. On a scale of one to 10, I'm now an eight, whereas I was a three before. And you measure that over time and you see that progression. That's impact you're directly having on somebody's well-being at that point. And you can use those as measures and, and as evidence. Very helpful if you want to go for funding with things. So, And particularly for churches, I'd say that people will fund churches to do work, but people won't fund, uh, you know, often the, the, the issue comes around, you know, oh, they don't fund faith. Yeah, but if you evidence you're doing excellent work, achieving the objective you set out to do and show the true impact, there is no reason why somebody wouldn't give you the money to do it because you're evidencing what you've set out to do. So, but I'd say the same for any church, that if you are setting out to make disciples and followers of Jesus, show me. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the evidence? If I'm, if I'm even going to, you know, give into the projects that we're doing, and that's what we say we do as a church, are we doing it? And that's yeah. a difficult yeah. conversation sometimes to have. The other thing is, is that... <clears throat> Projects can be successful. If you set out to address a need, we should always be heading to a future where we're not required. Yes. If we solve that problem. Now, you know, we'll go into anything about the unlikeliness and all these kind of things that go with that. But if we're heading to that future that we, we see, something that we did tackle a while ago might not be needed now. Or What's the most recent problem? And this is what we, this is this is where we were going with our conversation. Was the, you know, how do we know we're even doing the right projects, and who else in the area is doing it? Do we join in with someone that's already doing it, or do we yeah. create something that fills a gap? Um, and as a result of the work that we do, what's the difference that it would make? And that's yeah, that's where we started looking at some of the statistics and things for for the areas around your church. Yeah, and I think this is in our conversation last week. Uh, I then asked you the question, well, where do you find what the need, you know, if we've got to look, you know, if you're trying to make an impact, you've got to know what the need is. So how do you find where the need, is there any data that exists? Because I have no idea. And apparently there is. <laughs> and apparently yeah. it's actually freely available. So Lee, tell me, where can I find 
you know, in my area, so I live in Gloucester, where can I find that data of where the need is in my city? Okay, so we all know we fill in things like the census. We know that people take readings and it's the responsibility and the distribution of um, council tax and government funding and government spending to know where it's going and what we're spending it on. And the data that supports that distribution is freely available and is open data for anyone to access. access. And it starts with, um, you'd probably be able to look on your local council, district council websites and even get this, or just do a search for your area and what's going on. But um, start looking at the indices of multiple deprivation is a good place to start. Um, and that will tell you like where you rank on certain things to do with um, employment, health, physical and mental well-being, um, education, um, antisocial behaviour, and all sorts of things. And that gives you a good guide as to what's going on in your area and your region and where you rank compared to other areas of the country. So, you know, it's not to you know see whether we're doing better or not. But let's say that, you know, if unemployment is an issue in the immediate area around our church, um, what could we do that could address that, that could evidence impact? Well, what are the causes of the low unemployment? Is it, is it, is it, is it physically the number of jobs or is it access to jobs and other things that, you know, become it? Is that a puzzle that we should be looking to solve? Is that a thing where as a church we believe that God might give us something an insight into what's going on where we can actually do something meaningful, that'd be incredible. So, you know, what if that that links back to running CV job clubs? What if it links back to um, providing some form of like you know, free childcare so people can get on training and access and go to interviews or um, helping people with presentation and other interview skills? If that was what we, if that was the conclusion we came to, or, you know, if it was, you know, access to transportation or giving people lifts or getting people to work, or providing bus passes and, you know, travel cards and helping people take those first steps depends on, you know, where it is on the severity. There's lots of things with that data that you can actually begin to understand and look to address, maybe even meet with some people from the council or other community groups who are also looking at this kind of thing and ask where you could get involved. Um and you know, collaborative action. I mean, I'm a big advocate of working collaboratively with people and you know, evidencing how we walk in our faith to, to others in, in, in so doing. But also, actually, if God is at work, God is at work, so we join in with it. Um, so that, that's where I'd start. So this indices of multiple deprivation is, is, the, is the simplest, cheapest, most um available route but isn't obvious like yeah nobody's searching that term you know i mean yeah and i so i looked i I did a little sort of google search for the indices of multiple deprivation in my city gloucester and so the latest one came out in 2019 the one before that was 2015 so it seems like it comes out every four years and and on there it has all sorts of things so it has a map of every street in Gloucester and the red it marked in red is all the areas that are most deprived 
then it goes to orange, yellow, green, light green, and then dark green as to the, the least deprived. And so you've got a whole map right off really available as the most deprived areas. And then you can actually, if I just go to the report here, you can now drill into the different areas and it will give you the, the, the rank of, you know, one is the most deprived area in the country. So in, in, in Gloucester, there's uh, Podsmead, which is uh, one of the areas of Gloucester, is number 621 and is the most deprived area in, in Gloucester, uh, for instance. Uh, and Matson and Robinswood 1, which is one of the areas, is 735. That's the second most deprived area. So you could, and all of this data is really available that you can look to. And it's recent as well, it's 2019. And then you, it yeah. will go, it will break it down into different sectors. So income, employment, education and skills training, health deprivation and disability, crime, barriers to housing and services, which for Gloucester was the, the top one. So the most deprived. Uh, and actually, it was uh, people in sort of category one, two, or three were made up more than 50% of the population in Gloucester in barriers to housing and services, living environments, income deprivation affecting children, and income deprivation affecting older people. They were the uh, the main areas. And then you can link how see that how that has rated compared to 2015. It's there's absolutely loads of different things and they go into different areas and the different um each different sector and where each area ranks in the country and so there is a wealth of information yeah. there that straight off the bat you can now see okay what is the biggest so in in so in gloucester i'll be looking at this and going okay well the biggest thing here is clearly barriers to housing and services is the number one thing is the what number one uh, cause of deprivation in Gloucester. Now, they're all, obviously, they're, they're every, they're every single thing, there is a, you know, it's not just one thing. There's lots of different things. But now that gives you a starting point and go, okay, well, that's the biggest thing. Uh, so how can we now start to address the needs and use our, you know, okay, then you start to think, okay, are there services in in my area that or you know charities in my area that we can then partner with as a start or if there isn't is there something that we can do that would help that so there there's now but already this, a, this is the thing it doesn't matter the scale of your church at this point no because you don't have to start all these things there's probably something already in play that you can join in with or if you don't feel that you're able you've got prayer points yeah or where you're going to put some giving like, yeah. actually, how the church now gets involved and says, you know, we, we're standing for justice. We're standing for giving a voice to the voiceless. We're standing to address inequality. Like, these are things, you know, these are things that we would be doing and should be doing as a church. Yeah. So um, we've now got a reason why we're doing those things that we can put up on a map and show on a screen and say, why have we been doing X when the problem is Y? Yeah. This is why we're changing. And it might have been X might have been a problem a decade ago. Or, you know, for some churches, it goes back even further, doesn't it? You know, 20, 30 years ago. And it does, does shift. Um, actually, I'll just give you a, a quick example. So I remember I heard a story about a church quite a while back now. Um, and I, I need to actually look up and find out what, what, what the name of these what, and the location they were. But they saw that there was an issue in their area 
of um, the average reading age was like far lower than anywhere else in the country. So they, they mobilized people to resource um, materials, books, and some library materials for local schools and areas, and then trained and equipped a number of people to go and be uh, readers and reading support in classrooms in local schools. To be a pair of, you know, a pair of ears or sit with a child and take some capacity off stretched resources in schools to actually provide volunteers with some degree of training go and do this well. And actually, as a result, over a period of time, they actually saw the average reading age improve. Wow. So a measurable impact. And I think, because yeah. for me, that is so the you imagine, thing. Yeah. Like, how do you get that? And like starting with the, the indices of, me- of uh, multiple deprivation gives you that key of going, okay, we can now actually track that four years later when the next one comes out. Have we made an impact on that? You know, has the reading age gone up? Has this area of deprivation gone down? Now you've got something that's measurable because there's so many times, and I wonder if it's true for for many churches that you, you're running something and you just don't know. There's there's no metric that you can seem to find easily or readily that's going. Is this doing what it's supposed to do? And that obviously that's disheartening when you're not when you're not sure that that you're serving is meaningful now you know it's always kind of meaningful and if it's in the you know if it's in discipleship then you can see okay if it's helping people grow in their discipleship journey then yeah okay you can see the meaning in that and that's actually it's actually a lot easier to work that one out but when it's into okay we're doing something in the community how do you know that's made a difference in the community you hear so many stories of you know this community act did this community activity, but was it making it worse rather than better? You hear a lot of the, you know, that's a lot of the detractors of uh, overseas missions that, you know, you know, people are going in mm. and it's actually making the problem worse rather than the problem better. So you need to know that there are some measures where you can say, look, we, we helped make this better. This number changed. This is actually now, this is now statistically better. Um, the, the world is now statistical, the, this area is now a statistically better place because in this area because of this. And I think this is giving us a key to, to do that so that we can now point to what we do and you can say, okay, we've, we've noted this area because the statistics show that there is this area of need and now we can now evidence because we did this, it's now changed to that, that number mm. now. And I think that for me is the most encouraging thing. It makes me more... Not that I wasn't interested in community activities in the first place, because I, I was, absolutely. But I now feel that it makes a difference. I understand why it makes a difference. that's the thing it's like if you're going to open up and run a coffee morning we all know that you know we kind of like you know we talk about meaningful activities and things like that and keeping people look you don't want to just be busy there's a way that you can link that back to lowering um how people feel about isolation you know do you feel less isolated as a result of coming and engaging in this you know a cup of coffee 
meeting some people in this place, does it actually help towards you feeling less isolated? Now, we might know that kind of intrinsically that those people feel good about coming and that they're, they're not lonely when they're there. Maybe measure it and record it. And then, like I said, it, it, it helps on that evidence base if you want to talk to your council, if you're ever trying to, you know, everything from extensions and renovations through to trying to find little pockets of funding or support or finding other services that can come in and use your space to help support in that environment in that way. Find a way to measure it that you can report that back, that it takes away any of that, or you only want this because you're faith-based or you, you know, you're doing this or you, yeah, you know, you, you do that, but it's not really what you're about. Evidence, like it goes a long way. And I think it puts in that position of being so well-equipped and so well-viewed and it stops the suspicion from people outside if we know that we're, we're doing this thing with a degree of you know, good planning, well-managed, stewarding well, and with data and evidence that we'll, we'll, people can't point the finger at anything that's going on. And even if they you know, say, well, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. I mean, I'm not joining the faith or doing any of these things, but that work you do is a really a good work and you have, yeah. you have a good impact as a result. I think that's just part of doing things well. And like, why wouldn't we want to do things that well? Well, and this is where it comes into uh, the kind of the third part of things, which is um, you showed me last week something called the, is it the outcome star? Is that right? Yeah, is it outcome star. So that that is, it's it's, a tool so you know there are i'm gonna to have to say there are other tools available and other ways to measure this but things like outcome star um are easy tools to use. Well, yeah so i mean you, I, i've got one here in front of me and it's got the loads of different so it's a, it's a star with lots of, lots of different areas so you've got uh motivation and taking responsibility self-care and living skills managing money social networks and relationships, drug and alcohol mis uh, misuse, physical health, emotional and mental health, meaningful use of time, uh, managing tenancy and accommodation, and offending. So that's on that list. And then there's basically a scale of one to 10. And this yep. is what you were getting at earlier, is, is that you use that as a way of seeing where do people start and when, where do people go to after a certain yep. amount of time. Yeah. And, and and they're available for many different sectors. So like you've got them in everything from adult care and employment, education, families and children through to like you've just said, like on housing and homelessness, anything like refugee asylum seeking, young people, kids like th these these stars with bespoke measures exist already pre-done in a tool that is very cheap to implement. Um, although there are some training costs, so you know we, we won't we won't shy away from the things that this is a paid for service, but um, it's 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 easy. And the thing is, is that you you can still do development and 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 track those things. But I I, ju I just think it's a, a a good thing to 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 look at. And you know, day day one, you might just take some inspiration from it. And like I said, you know, some like emoji scales or one to ten, you know, make it look a little bit like you're leaving IKEA. You know, as a result of being here today, <laughs> as your mood improved, bang. You no, know, um, it 
it, it's funny that feedback should inform what we're doing um not that it's like you know the only measure of like why we do it because sometimes it is about what it does in the individual who is doing the serving as well okay so you know we're yeah you know we're, we're not not going to take away from any of those things sometimes we we go and do that stuff but this we were talking we were talking about this about how well planned can you be to actually where do you find out what the needs are how do you work towards them and can you measure it well the answer is just yes yeah it's like the information is freely available the implementation is almost free and the measuring and monitoring is also pretty cheap um so for for very little actually be doing not just good things but the right things in your area um and and joining in with stuff or as a church where maybe you you're maybe less able to mobilize to do some of these things but you now you know what to pray into you know what to support you know what to advertise you know what to resource you know you can do things and still feel your level of engagement as a congregation and share in that impact um so i i yeah, I'm I'm just a massive advocate for this way of um thinking and planning. And I think it's within reach of everybody to do it at this at this standard. And it also puts you then doing it the way that lots of other people do it. And it's good to be in that company. Um and you never know what comes of it then and what doors it might open up or access to things like, you know, a little bit of funding to support some of the work you do and and what you're involved in. Um you know, and it, I think it helps with the transparency as well and just how people view us. Well, for me, it, it seems like these these tools give us the opportunity to answer all of the questions that are on our minds about community activities, which is number one, why? Why are we doing this? So you can have a look at what's the need. We can find, so tick, we can find the need in, you, you can find it in your area, your city. You can find that by looking at the, uh, indices of multiple deprivation you can you know ask uh your your local council for those kind of things you can put all that together and create a kind of a problem statement then it's okay then so you've got the the why is kind of like ticked and now you can think about okay how are we going to do that and you've got ways of being able to uh to track that and you, you can look at okay what are we going to do so what area what things are now going to you know is this are these programs solving that problem that we're wanting to that we're highlighting and so so now we've got the the why the what the how we know who we're doing it for because we can even look into specific areas within our city we can so we know where as well so we know where are we going to target these things where are we going to place it you know if you're going to set up a a center you can then you you know you could you could say okay we're going to put it we want it to be in this specific region of a city because that is the area where it's most affected rather than putting it maybe in your church building where that may not be an area of of high deprivation you may want to then think about somewhere else so all of these questions are really quite easily and quickly uh you know strategically are being answered for you that you can now start to make a real difference and have real clarity and it funnels you down rather than having those conversations of do do we like you know is this a nice thing do we feel like this is good or it's, do we feel like it's still needed well actually there's some there's some hard evidence that we can now point to and we can we can look at that we can point to it we can we can we know why we're doing it we know what we're doing we know how we're doing it uh we know where we're doing it uh and we know what impact we want it to make yeah, absolutely. And the other thing for me is, is that 
sometimes it's if we just go and pick things we often look for the things that are nice things as well or you know easy things this actually might open up some conversations where as a church we start to do some of the difficult stuff yeah yeah right because some of these things aren't aren't attractive propositions the problems around us and the things we want to get involved in um there are no no-go areas you know what i mean as a church we should be looking for that stuff that goes where other people maybe aren't getting involved yeah and and off we go so that that for me is it it really raises well i mean this this falls back to like it comes back to how it can help you with your mission and vision it can come back to what activities and things you're going to do what you're resourcing how you shape your budget how you staff i mean it's it really does go before anything else that we're, we're looking at um and it, it keeps us outward focused and actually kind of like you know causes that bit of discomfort maybe within within, within ourselves to actually help us focus on those things that are sometimes uncomfortable to deal with and talk about. Mm. But, you know, I think the thing is, is that these, these things actually impact nearly every area in the UK. You know, bluntly, none of this is um, far away from any of us. Yeah. It's about motivating, motivating us to do that, uh, to do the work. Um, but we 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 know we go we we do do have something extra on on our side in doing that, and I think that we can we can really bring bring answers in those things as well. So, yeah, I'm glad the conversation, Chris, was really useful for you. Um, it was. I didn't I didn't realize I was uh, sat sat on such information as as it were. But you know, also don't shy away from as a church. If you see these opportunities, you might see people go there's an opportunity here to do something even bigger that you might end up spinning off. Instead of planting churches, you might be planting charities. You might be planting specific projects that do something that takes on life and shape of its own that goes beyond what you're doing just as a church and actually has even bigger impact. Um, work with a church that has a dementia project. I've you know worked with churches that do um things uh addressing um mental health and stuff like that that have actually become independent charities as a result so you know that as a planting strategy let's uh let's pick that up in another episode well yeah and, and we, i mean we we've linked to this before like like i said we we talked about should churches run community activities and um you're kind of hitting on the right area that some of the problem that can happen when you become uh, highly kind of community focused is that you can have this mission drift that you forget that your job is to disciple people first and foremost. Um, and actually, but there is a huge responsibility that you want to make a difference in your community and 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 bring the kingdom of of God on earth as it is in heaven. That is a that is a key uh, tenant of what we are called to do. Now, the the primary way we are called to do that as a church is by making disciples, but making disciples who then go and bring heaven on earth as it is in heaven yeah um so they bring god's kingdom on earth and and that means that that the it's the scattered saints that often do do that work and that means that that could be 
launching new charities and that not being run by the church, but the church are supporting it and they are en enabling it and they are, you know, they're sending volunteers to it. But keeping that clarity between what you're doing can actually be really, really helpful. But that still means the church is uh, making a difference by uh, by launching these things, by finding the need for these things. Um, but it doesn't always have to, you know, directly be running it, which can cause mission drift. So um, it's always worth thinking about those kind of things when you're going to be running a community activity. Uh, that actually sometimes it's better to be run as a separate entity because it just stops that mission drift. It keeps you focused on what mm. you're called to do, and it allows the saints, uh, the scattered saints, to be able to go and make the difference in their world. So you're you are equipping the the saints to go and make a difference, and that, that could be running a charity, it could be in their workplace. Or, whatever um so yeah I, that's just a, a quick bit of uh, a, a bit of added extra for the kind of strategic side and how you think about that that and, and the missional side and discipleship uh on that well that's thank, lee thank you very much for for your time today um a very helpful conversation as always and um who knew that lee mack could help me out so much uh on these kind of things uh. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Well, maybe we'll call it there then. Um, Lee, thank you so much for your time. As always, Lee Button, I should say, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, and, Chris. Um, have a good week and I will see you next week for our, for our next episode. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. And don't forget that you can send in your thoughts, comments, uh, discussions for whatever we've talked about. Uh, just drop us an email, podcast at thinking.church. And we'd love to be able to read it out on the show. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast next week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we will see you soon. Bye for now.